0: now we are pleased to have Jeff White with us once more, preaching from the book of Philemon. So let's give him a welcome as he comes up. Thank you, Katie. It's good to be with you this morning. I was talking with some of the members of the congregation before the service started. And I said, how many of you have read the book of Philemon before? And one person told me, yesterday, getting ready. Good. Some people have said, well, it's been a while, and that's good. A few weeks ago, um, when I was invited to give the message today, I said, uh, yeah, we're just going to have one of those good old-fashioned sermons. So what do you mean by that, Jeff? Good old-fashioned sermon. We're going to grab the Bibles out of the chairs here, and we're going to open up to the book of Philemon. Now, first of all, you're like, what page is that on? Because it's one of the shortest passages all in Scripture. It's on page... 8.45. 8.45. And I thought I would be like the congregation today and just use the one, the Bible that's right there in, in, the, uh, in the chairs. And then I opened this up and I said, man, this type is small. <laughs> so I might be doing a little bit of this throughout the, the message today, but that's okay. So if we can turn to the first slide, please, Abby. <coughs> this book is a very unique book. It's a book about three people. The Apostle Paul, writing to his friend, who's a rich guy, Philemon, and this rich guy has a slave. His name is Onesimus. And Onesimus takes off on him. And Onesimus comes and gets in contact with the Apostle Paul. And when he gets in contact with the Apostle Paul, he becomes convicted. He becomes a Christian, and Paul says, Anesimus, you got to go back to Philemon, and you got to ask forgiveness for whatever you stole from him or whatever you did to do him wrong. You got to ask for forgiveness." And I'm going to kind of set the stage. I'm going to write Philemon and warn him that you're going to be coming. And when I warn Philemon that you're going to be coming, um, He's going to have to take you back, and he's going to have to forgive you. So please, before we even get started in this passage, this passage is not a passage about, uh, about slavery. That, ha- that is the farthest thing from the context. This passage is about forgiveness, about asking somebody for, for, for forgiveness, and somebody have to forgive. So let's kind of look at that as we go through This passage today. One of the things that we need before we start is we have to realize that when Paul writes a letter, it's kind of similar to the way we write a letter today. Now many of us don't really necessarily write hand letters anymore. We get on our emails and our emails become very informal. But if we remember what we learned in typing class many years ago, there's a formality to the way that you write a letter. You first have that opening address, dear sir, dear madam, And then you have the salutation, and then you have a body, and then you have sincerely yours or respectfully yours, and then you sign your name at the bottom. Well, Paul's letters kind of follow that same kind of uh, format, with a little difference. Remember, many of those letters are going to be in scrolls, and some of these scrolls might be pages and pages or incredibly long, So when you open up the scroll, the first thing you see is the author line. Ah, that's who it's from. And then it follows very similar to our letters today with a salutation, a greeting, the opening body, and the farewell. So if we could advance to the next slide, you see that this is going to be the format that we look at today in this very, very small, small passage. But this small passage written 2,000 years ago is incredibly important. Because God wants us to see the depth in this passage. Don't let this small passage trick you into thinking that it's not really that deep. It's an onion skin, and you can keep pulling back layer after layer after layer. So I want to encourage you to read the book of Philemon again, maybe later this week. So having that said about the way this letter is structured, let's continue looking at a little context to this letter. First off, it's personal in nature. It's personal, but it's also public. (laughs) Paul is intending for this letter to be read to the entire congregation. So that's right. He's writing it to Philemon, and Philemon's supposed to say, okay, brothers and sisters, I've got a letter here from the Apostle Paul, and this letter is to me, but he wants me to read it to all of you. So we need to remember that this is a personal letter in nature. Paul is also in prison when he writes this. He would love to be there himself in that city of Colossae. That's right. Philemon lives in the city of Colossae. Did the Apostle Paul ever go to Colossae? Probably not. He came pretty close in the second missionary journey. And when he's in the second missionary journey, and he's at places like Ephesus, in which is known as Asia Minor (present-day Turkey today), there were people who heard the message. And then we're like, I'm going to go back to where I came from and plant a church. No different than if you went downtown Chicago, and you went to Soldier Field, and maybe you, maybe you remember way back in the 60s when Billy Graham would come to Soldier Field. Can anybody here remember when Billy Graham used to come back? Okay. And the rest of the people are saying, who's Billy Graham? Um, I hope that never happens. But it would be like listening to Billy Graham at Soldier Field and then going back to Lafayette And starting up a church plant. So Paul knows the people who are in this Colossian church. He knows them. He knows that this is an established church. And so when Paul writes this letter to Philemon, he intends for Philemon to read it to everybody. Kind of personal. And then it sometimes is known as a circular letter. This may have to get passed on to other churches in the area. Oh, wow. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Jeff. Are you telling me that this problem between Anisimus and Philemon, this dirty laundry, is going to be aired out in front of all of God's people? And the answer is yeah. It's going to be aired out in front of all of God's people and maybe some of the churches in the area. What we also have to realize is that this church here in Colossae, meets in Philemon's house. So think about that. Philemon is an established pillar in the church. People are looking to him. How are we going to handle this when Anesimus comes back? So he's an established person in the church. He has wealth. He's got a big enough house in which everybody can gather and hear the word of God. So there's a lot of complexities in this particular passage. So once again, if we can, let's turn to Page 845. <coughs> Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Appia our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, didn't Tom say that in our opening prayer today? That's right. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore... Although I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to, I appealed to you on the basis of love. I then, Paul, I, I'm an old man. And now I'm also a prisoner in Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my son, Anisimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, <laughs> he was useless to you. But now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who's my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than as a slave a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you'd welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing you'll do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epirus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demos, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Wow. Let's go through it again. When we look at these opening lines, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Think about what that's like to be a prisoner. Now we know that the Apostle Paul was in prison twice, in Caesarea and in Rome. And most likely when he's writing this, he's in a Roman prison. And there's no cable TV. There's no clean, clean garments to put on. When you're in prison, you need people to help you out. You need people to bring you food. Maybe some kind of medicine. Maybe some kind of extra blankets or bandages. Being in prison is awful, and you need assistance. And the Apostle Paul is in prison, and Anesimus meets up with him. We don't know the context of how God made that arrangement, but Anesimus comes to Paul, and Anesimus is helping Paul out in this ministry. From that Roman jail, Paul will write a lot of other letters in the New Testament. And Anesimus is there, witnessing this to philemon our dear friend and fellow worker to Appiah our sister to archippus our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home wow what an interesting group of people here in this church you got soldiers you got rich people you have slaves you have a whole gamut of people that are there worshiping at the foot of the cross no different than this congregation when you think about congregations across america We're an odd bunch. We are. We have all different kinds of people, and a lot of us have all kinds of issues. And it's not that we're so special. It's that the the people of God are so needy. We are so needy. We need something, and that's why we're here today. And that's why the people that met in Colossae were there as well. Did you catch this as we read through this the first time? There's not really a message of the gospel in here. It's about the only letter in the New Testament which we don't see the Apostle Paul outlining the gospel message. Because these people here at Colossae, they already know the gospel. This passage is about how to live the gospel. A little bit different. Let's continue. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. If if you are Philemon and you're reading a letter and Paul says, boy, you're doing a good job. Boy, have you refreshed the hearts of the saints. I hear about all the work you're doing. What are you as Philemon doing? Going, yep. That's me. I'm leading this church, and I'm doing a good job. Thank you, Paul. And as he's continually reading the letter, wow, Paul, thanks, all right. There's a lot of nice accolades. And then Paul goes for the gut punch. Back to this really small type. Therefore, in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to. That's right. We as the family of God... (laughs) We, as the family of God, have a boldness when we stand on the authority of Scripture. When we see somebody else transgressing God, as long as we stand on the authority of Scripture, we can be bold and we can order somebody. You've got to stop living that way. you got to stop doing that. And it's not, oh, we didn't... We, well, take, take the plank out of your eye. Uh-uh. When Jesus mentioned that... You had Pharisees who were trying to trick him. Pharisees who thought they were righteous. But here, the boldness of our faith and the boldness of Scripture, when somebody is doing wrong, you have the authority to say, I'm your accountability. Stop it. And Paul says, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to. I appeal to you on the basis of love. Notice when we read already, In these first few verses, we've read where Paul is calling people his brother. Paul is calling people his sister. Paul is calling people his fellow worker. This is a family. This is something unique. If you're a Jewish person living throughout the Old Testament, the only people that were really your family were fellow Jews. And even somebody from a different clan. They might be from a different clan, but your family was your family. But here in the New Testament we see this remnant stretching out to Gentiles, and all of you now are calling each other brother and sister, even if you don't share the same biology. You're brothers, your sisters, you're something new. You're really, really needy. That's right. Not that we're special. We're a needy bunch. I appeal to you... <coughs> I'm sorry, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I, then, Paul, an old man and a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What does Paul do here? He builds Philemon up with all of these accolades. Then he goes for the gut punch. I could be bold. And then he backs off a little bit. He's using a lot of passive aggressive language here. He backs off and he says, But I really can't do anything because I'm in chains and I'm an old man. That's right, he's playing that old man card. I remember my dad. He would play that old man card. My dad and I worked roofing together, and sometimes when he didn't want to carry a bundle of shingles up, he's like, yeah, I'm an old man. You you, you young guys, you guys carry those bundles up, and I'll, I'll put them on. Sometimes we've done that. We've pulled out a special kind of card. Maybe we pulled out the gender card, we pulled out the you know, the socially inept card, or I just can't do that card. Apostle Paul is pulling out the old man card. And you remember, guys, the Apostle Paul is crafty. He's a skilled writer. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer who knows how to use the language to get his point across. Let's continue. I appeal to you for my son, his son, his son Anisimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, now if you remember a few moments ago when I read this, why did I start laughing? You're like, Jeff, you made me feel kind of uncomfortable when you started laughing during scripture. <coughs> because the name Anisimus means useful. Now let's pick on Mike Oppenheist because it's so easy. Can we, Mike? Okay. So when Mike first started dating Linda, and I asked Linda when I was getting some coffee before the service started, I said, Linda, what does your name mean? And she goes, my name means beautiful. I'm like, okay. So the first time that Mike had to tell mom and dad Openheist that he had a girlfriend, and he says, Ma, Dad, i got to tell you i got a new girlfriend, and she's beautiful, and her name is Linda. Get it? She is what her name means. <laughs> bad dad joke, I know. <laughs> Paul is giving us a bad dad joke here. A really, really bad dad joke. Formerly, in other words, before he was a Christian, he was useless for the case of the Christ. Of Christ. He was useless in the kingdom. But now that he's become a new image bearer in the kingdom, he's useful. He is what he says his name is. So you almost see here, Philemon, as he's reading this letter, (laughs) okay, Paul, funny little play on words, nice little funny play, good dad joke. Paul lightens the mood again. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I'm sending him who is my very heart. In some biblical translations, or even if we go back to the original Greek, the word here means bowels. Now, we don't want to use that word today because that has a weird kind of connotation to it. But Paul said, he's he's so much a part of me, he's like, he's like part of me, my innards. He's by my very heart. I'd, oh, and here's where Paul gets a little bit, a little bit passive aggressive again. I'd like to have kept him with me so he could take your place with helping me, you know, You're out there at Colossa. I'm here. I'd really like to keep him, but I don't want to do him anything without your consent. Wow, nice passive-aggressiveness, Paul. So that any favor you will do will not be spontaneous and not forced. Think about that. How many of you parents in this room have told your children, you tell her you're sorry? You tell him you're sorry. Now give each other a hug, and little kids... Sometimes when they have to like hug and maybe they're three or four, one will stick out their stomach because they don't want to quite hug the other person. You're forcing that apology. And Paul says, I want you to allow me to keep Anesimus with me. Oh. I want you to allow me to keep Anesimus with me. But when he comes back to you, I want you to forgive him. So that anything you do won't be pressured I want you to do this organically. I don't want it to be forced. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, ooh, wow, Paul is saying, we're partners. We oftentimes think about the mentor and the student, the boss, and the employee, the one with seniority, and the one with maybe a little seniority, been there at the company two or three years, Paul says, if you consider me a partner, we are in this kingdom building together, so if we're in this kingdom building together, Philemon, you better own this situation right now, because all eyes are watching you, you're reading this letter to everybody in your congregation and everybody's going to be looking at you going, well, Philemon, you going to do what Paul said? You going to forgive this guy? And then Paul, if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. If, you can just see Philemon, if he's done anything wrong, if he's stolen from me, you bet he has. If, I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me, your very self, something more important than money. The person that you are, Philemon, the person that you are in Christ is because I brought the message of the gospel to you. You are a new person, totally different than what you used to be, and who do you have to owe for that? So if you want to talk about owing a debt, you better look this way first. I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. Think about that. Do we ask each other enough? Can I get some benefit from you? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to ask each other, is there some benefit I can get from you? How can I pray for you this week? Do you need help with that? How can I benefit you? How can you benefit me? Please advance the slide. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident over your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. You know, Philemon, I didn't even have to write this letter because I know you would have done the right thing anyway. Oh, Paul, you're so crafty. Didn't even have to write it. I know you would have done the right thing. And then Paul? And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. That's right. I've never been to Colossae, but I'm coming. So guess what, Philemon? I'm going to check up on you. I'm going to make sure that you followed through with this. And if you're Philemon, you're like, okay, Paul, you're going to come here. All right, good. <laughs> I better do it. I better forgive Anisimus. Ephorus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please advance the slide. When we look at the lessons in the book of Philemon, there's so many lessons. If we just look at a couple here, one, This is a story of recognizing persons who we may think might be below us, be below us socially. There's the pecking order ever since time began. And this is to give us a whole new vision. And this whole new vision is that it doesn't matter if this person is a cardiologist or if this person is a plumber. It doesn't matter if this person is a drywaller or a farmer, a lab tech or an Amazon driver. We all stand at the foot of the cross at ground level. Think about that. At the the base of the cross, the ground is even. The ground is level. And what we see here in this passage, we see the servant and the master sitting down at the table of the Lord. And that's the great mystery of what God does in his church. That great mystery is how he brings us all together and we sit at the foot of the cross as equal partners. Second, it's a story of forgiveness. You bet it's a story of forgiveness. And it's also a story about what are the neighbors going to think. Think about this. Philemon is an established person in the city of Colossae. He has wealth. He has influence. He's probably a businessman. He bumps elbows with a lot of people. A lot of people who also have slaves. And they're going to say to Philemon, What are you doing, Philemon? You've taken him back without punishing him? Without somehow severely hurting him? Or withdrawing some kind of benefit from him? What are all the rest of the slaves going to think about? And Philemon's going to be like, I'm going to do the Lord's will, not the will of what's socially acceptable. Think about that, brothers and sisters here in Jesus Christ. We are called not to conform to the culture of this world, but to transform the culture. And so, yeah, Philemon's put in a tight spot. He's put in a tight spot with all the congregation looking at him. Is he going to do the right thing? Or is he going to kowtow to the pressure, the peer pressure, of the people of Colossae? And finally, backing up our faith with works. That's what this passage is about. If you're a true believer, you will forgive. And if you are a true believer, you will ask for forgiveness, whatever that may be. Because we are just like Anesimus. We have tremendous debt. The Lord Jesus Christ is never ever going to show us that ledger of our debt. We don't want to know the compound interest on our debt. Because God the Father gave us the greatest stimulus plan And released us from that debt. And we're going to live with God for eternity. And praise be that God will never ever show us in eternity what our debt looks like. He's never going to open up that book and say, look what you owe me. Because that debt has already been paid. And finally, when we read this small 350 words here in the book of Philemon, we can't just be familiar with this message. That's right, I read the book, put it on the checkoff list. I've read that book, gone through a Bible in a year. Okay, it took me a little bit longer to go through Leviticus than it did go to going through Philippians, but I got through it, I put that check-off list. We are not just supposed to be familiar with this message in the book of Philemon. We are supposed to be faithful with this message. And what does our faith say? Our faith says to us that we're sinful. And the closer we get to Christ, the more sinful we sometimes are going to feel. Because the closer we see that reflection of Jesus Christ, the more deeply convicted we become of our sin. And the fact that we become convicted means that we're growing spiritually. And that's what Philemon was doing. Philemon was growing spiritually. As a leader in that church, I have to forgive but Anisimus was growing spiritually because he heard the message of the gospel and he says, I got to right the wrongs with Philemon. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in this upcoming week? Are there people that we have to somehow right the wrongs with within our own family? Are we spiritually mature enough to do that? Are there people at our work? that we have to somehow right the wrongs with? Are there people in our college dorm that we left on bad terms with last May that we have to somehow right the wrongs? If so, we're becoming spiritually mature. We're becoming what Christ has called us to be. Because the grand message of this this gospel of Philemon is that we stand together at the foot of the cross. We are all redeemed by the same blood and we share all in that same justification. And because of that, we know that Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author and finisher of our sanctification. He's the author and finisher of our eternity. And he's the author and finisher of our forgiveness. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you. As needy people. Needy people in need of forgiveness. We're needy people who also have to forgive others. And there's maybe many of us in this room right now that need to bring that reconciliation to the forefront. Lord, make us spiritually mature. Make us do what Philemon and Anisimus did. Come together as brothers. Not seeing each other as above the other, but seeing each other both standing at the foot of the cross on even ground. In your name we pray.